Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you this morning that we can gather as your people in the household of God, that we can open up your word and hear you speak to us. Father, as we look into this word this morning, we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reinvigorate us, reorient us, and redirect us towards Jesus, that we would be more and more like him, living out our lives in a fallen world that are that is a light to the nations, a light to our neighbors, as we've seen in the service already. You use your word, you use your people to bring about salvation, the great salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. Bless us to that end this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Seems like it's been a year since I've preached. If I think about it, it was last year that I preached. Um, no, I'm glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, on behalf of Pastor Jake and myself, I'm Pastor Jeff Morrow. We are co-pastors here. Uh, Pastor Jake is over past, uh, pastoral shepherding and congregational care, and I'm over discipleship and mission and vision. And one of the things that we've been wanting to do this January is to talk a little bit about direction, where we're going, where we're headed. Um, what is the mission and the vision of the church? And so this morning I want to bring the first of, Lord willing, uh, three messages. Uh, they're all under this title, Back to Basics. And Back to Basics um, being, you know, let's, let's think about what we do as a church and how we're directed. And this passage happens to do that quite well this morning. And so I want to walk us through this. Um, a week ago Thursday, we had a session meeting. Session is just the word for those who aren't Presbyterian. A gathering together of the elders of the church, both the teaching elders and the ruling elders. Jake and I being teaching elders and the other men being ruling elders. And in this time that I've had off, about seven weeks, I've been doing, spending a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time reading the scripture, a lot of time reading about mission and, and vision. Um, and one of the things that I they came to the conclusion, and I shared with the men a week ago Thursday, was that I don't want the church to be like it's been for the last year, two years, three years, four years. I don't want it to be Groundhog Day. I, I, I really want us to think about who we are where we are going, what we are doing. But I use the pronoun I and I use we. The mission of the church is not our mission. It's Jesus' mission. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the mission of the church. What's the vision of the church? The vision of the church is how then do we do it? Hence this little mini-series, Back to Basics. We need to look back at how the church did it at the very beginning. Now let me just say one thing here about the church. We read in this passage in Acts chapter 2, 
this church that is born out of Pentecost. Pentecost. But let me just say this. This is not the first church. It's the first New Testament church. There has always been a church. There has always been an assembly, a gathering, a people that are marked out for the Lord. An assembly. There is a cohesion within the whole of Scripture, Old and New Testament. The people of God are the same. Whether in the Old Testament or whether in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the promise given to Abraham of a seed that would come that pointed towards Jesus Christ. That seed, that promise of a Savior, they believed in. And it was reckoned to them as righteousness. For us on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, He lived, He died, He rose again and ascended where He rules and reigns. We believe in that and have forgiveness of sin and have salvation. We are the people of God. So we come to this back to the basics. And as I shared with the elders the other night, I used an, an illustration. And I, and I want to share that illustration with you this morning. And, and here's, here's a little hint. What is February 14th? I think I, I think I hear Valentine's Day. <clears throat> you could be right. But it is the first day of spring training for baseball. <laughs> Look, if we're going to get back to basics, and this is what I, this is what I shared with the guys, and I'm, really, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a parallel here. Hopefully I can do it without getting too far off base. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> um, every year in the spring, 30 baseball teams go to either South Florida or Arizona where it's warm. And they go back to basics. These are both rookies, people that have never played Major League Baseball and those that have played the game for a long, long time. And so they go back to learn the basics. And for some 45 days, they go back and learn the fundamentals of the game as if they were six and seven years old. Now why? Why do they do that? Because there's principles to the game. Principles that you want to be engrafted into you. Principles that you want to learn that you know like the back of your hand. And so when they go, they learn these principles all over again. They learn how to catch. They learn how to throw. They learn how to field. They learn how to hit. How to bunt. How to run the bases. They have coaches for everything. They have a manager that looks over everything. They have a bench coach. They have base coaches. They have hitting coaches and pitching coaches and so on. But they go through these fundamentals. Now I can tell you that I played baseball for a long time, almost all my life. Except the last 40 years. <laughs> I think about Paul... You know, when I was a child, I did childish things, but now I've put away childish things, so maybe I should do that as well. Um, the thing about baseball 
is the drills that you go through all the time and you learn this game like the back of your hand. One of the things that I remember was we would take a baseball and we would simply hold the baseball in our hands and we would get used to the feel of the baseball and where the threads are and where the rest of the baseball is. And so I can pick up a baseball, I can feel it and transfer it from the glove to the hand and find the seams and then throw, get an accurate throw. Basic fundamentals of the game. Now why am I using this parallel of the basic fundamentals of the game? Well, if you don't know how to play, you can't play. And of all the sports, all the sports, baseball has the longest season. 162 games over a six-month period. Playing almost every day. A day off here or there, typically once per week. And when you get into the season, there's affliction. There's injuries. There's things that happen along the way. You have to have endurance. You have to have patience. You have to know the things that you know because you can't go back and practice. There's no time. You enter into the game. And so as I was explaining to the elders, I go, we got to get back to the basics of the Christian faith. We need to have our own spring training. It's, it's interesting in reading the Bible throughout the year and going through it earlier this week and reading in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 talks about Passover. And the people of Israel about to be delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of sin. And you know what God told Moses? He said, this is going to be the first month of the year for you. The month of Abib. Now that's March slash April-ish. But it's good to start at the beginning of the year and get back to the fundamentals. For them, Israel was to remember, God delivered you out of sin and slavery and is taking you to a land that He's going to show them. He's transferring, He's delivering them out of sin and slavery into the kingdom of the Son, the promise to come. And so it's good to do this at the first of the year, to think about what you're going to do. So I told the elders this, this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to get back to basics. I'd like us to focus on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I'd like us to consider our lives in light of the gospel. Now what happens at Pentecost, you know the story probably well. But let me just recap as quickly as possible. Jesus is at the very beginning of Acts is with 12 disciples. Actually with 11. The 12th will come. And he tells them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you not many days from now. The go and wait. And then he ascends. And so 120 people, that's the church at this point, 120 people are in an upper room in Jerusalem. And sure enough, after a period of time, 10 days, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The promise given through the prophet Joel. And with that Holy Spirit comes signs and wonders, the speaking of tongues. And all the 120 
all the hundred and twenty begin to speak in languages that all the peoples of the world understand. These are people that haven't had language skills. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit that is poured out upon them. And then Peter raises up because someone mocks them and says they must be drinking wine. And he proceeds to give the first New Testament sermon. And in that sermon, he speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. His Lordship, His Kingship. He is both Christ and Jesus. He is both God and He is both man. And the fundamental piece is the resurrection. And He convicts them, the people who are hearing, that you put Him to death. And that is true of all of us. We all put Christ to death. Our sin put Him there. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That sermon is delivered. And they are cut to the quick, the text says. Cut to the quick. Have you ever ripped off part of your fingernail? You know how that feels? I mean, it is so tender. You don't want it to touch anything. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God go forth and they make a prick that you cannot deny. It is supernatural. These people say, what must we do to be saved? A question that Hong and Emma have asked recently. What must we do to be saved? And the answer is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be baptized. And so this church at 9 o'clock in the morning was about 120 people and by noon it was 3,120. Now today, people would go, ooh, if that happened in a church, you'd have reporters here, you'd have journalists here, and they'd be going, so what's the secret to church growth? The secret is getting back to basics. It is preaching and teaching the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit doing the work when that goes forth. So here's this church of 3,120 people. Now what? Well, speaking to the elders, you know, we, we each have about 20 or so people that we have in our shepherding groups. But, but for these 12, that'd be about 260 that they were responsible for. And there's no help yet at this point. That'll come in Acts chapter 6 and they'll go, okay, here's the help you need. We got seven men. We're going to add to your number. So you're going to have 19 trying to teach and shepherd well over 3,000 people. But let me, let me just make a point here. It's not about how many of us there are. It's a how powerful how good, how gracious God is. 
Because with man, it may seem impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Again, this is getting back to the basics. So what did this church do that had exploded to over 3,000 people? I shared with them this vision of having this year be back to basics. And the actual text, a verse for us to think about throughout this year is the first verse in 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Four fundamental pillars of the church. These are the basics. But in reality, there's nothing more than those basics. Those are the means of grace that God has given to the church. He wants us to practice these all the time. Not just one time, but all the time. So these fundamentals, these back to the basics, we need to hear about. Because throughout the Old Testament, we learn what we are. We are a forgetful people, are we not? I mean, you look at the Old Testament and there's passage after passage after passage in which people forgot the Lord. That He had delivered them out of sin and slavery. That's an issue that we have. And we are to remember, there's memorial after memorial throughout the Old Testament that speak about this pile of stones represents us crossing through the Jordan on dry land. Tell that to your children. So these basics become fundamentals for us. There are four. The apostolic teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. All of them have the definite article. All of them speak about aspects of the church. The apostolic teaching was first and foremost. These others carry and build upon that. So what was apostolic teaching? Jesus chose 12 to follow him. You can do a quick walk through Matthew. And at the very beginning, chapter 4, Jesus is baptized. And he is tempted by Satan. And what does he tell Satan when Satan says, turn the stone to bread? He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then later on in chapter 4, he says, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the word is going to be there. Repentance and faith are needed. And then you have the glorious Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about what life is like in the kingdom. That you enter in being poor in spirit, by mourning sin, by hunger and thirsting for righteousness. And those characteristics are then ingrafted within you by faith. And then Jesus kind of sums it all up in chapter 6 and He says that seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Go a little bit further and you get to chapter 11 where Jesus makes the invitation and He says, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are weary, and I will give you rest. For I am lowly and gentle, and my yoke is easy. 
You go a little bit further in, in chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples, or he first asks a question. He says, who do people say that I am? So you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're all these things. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. What a statement. Jesus says, yep, on this statement, on this rock, on this foundation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now I want you to think about that picture there for just a moment. Just one little moment. Because many in Christendom think about us being the ones behind a fortress. Us being the ones behind a wall. Us taking a defensive position. And that is not the case at all. What does a gate do? Gate keeps people out. When Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that means we kick the gate in. That means that we take the gospel, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and we deliver people through that gospel message out of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of the Son. We get to do that part. He does all the work. He just has us play our part. So Jesus will build His church. And then you go to the Great Commission in 28 that I mentioned before. You know, we get stuck in go therefore and make disciples. We think the go is the main verb and that's not the main verb in that text. Making disciples is the main verb. That making of disciples isn't for the 12 disciples. It's for all of us. This is, the church is, an every member ministry. All of us play our part. And we'll see that in the text. So we are to make and mature disciples. We have two brand new infant disciples here, Hong and Emma. They need some of you to come alongside them. They need some of you to say, hey, would you like to get together? Sit down, open up the scripture and read through it together. Marking what it says. Looking at the context. Pulling out the meaning together. Helping them, them grow in the faith. What a beautiful thing. That's what they need, brothers and sisters. Are you up for the task? I think you are. Because it's not just you that does it. It's the Holy Spirit working through you both to will and to work. So here we have this church. Now what we do is they focus on the apostles' teaching. That apostles' teaching is what they had learned from Jesus along with the Old Testament. We have so much more. We have the whole canon of Scripture, 66 books. During this first century church, we have so much more. So much more to learn, so much more to teach. Being a church that was devoted to the apostolic teaching means that they were persistent, they were diligent, they were devoted. But it wasn't a self 
fulfilling will to do that. It came from the supernatural transaction that Jesus Christ does within us. When we are transferred, when we hear the gospel, when we are transferred out of that darkness into the kingdom of the Son, it is a supernatural act. The word actually means transfer, when you think about it, it means to go from one state, one position, one status to another. Paul says in Corinthians chapter 5 that you are a new creation. The old has been put away. Behold, all things become new. With that new creation is now a new desire, a new will, a new diligence. These are babes in Christ. What do babies do? They sleep and they eat. They have to be fed. Throughout Scripture, Peter will talk about the pure milk of the Word. These people need that. They need to take that Word of God in, but they don't stay on milk. Hebrews talks about we grow through the Word so that we can then go from milk to meat. So that as we grow, we then pass that on to others so they can grow. We have so much more to offer, this apostolic teaching. So the church at Pentecost was a learning church. They took in the Word of God. But we'll see at the end of this passage that they lived it out. The second thing, the fellowship. I want you to gather this. We talk about fellowship all the time and unfortunately we have a, a bad definition of fellowship. F fellowship isn't a potluck. Fellowship isn't just, you know, getting together and having some fun and some social time together. That word is koinonia that's here, and you've heard, I'm sure you've heard that word before. It means to have things in common with one another. It means to share with one another. It, it, in one sense, it also means to be generous. So as these new Christians were taking in the Word of God, because of the salvation that they have received, the love that has been bestowed upon them, they begin to love outwardly, immediately. They want to share and do life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a book, Life Together, that speaks about this. It's not enough on Sunday morning to gather together as the people of God. We want to do it more and more throughout. Gathering together these people went to the temple. It says they gathered at the temple for worship and they gathered together at homes in a bigger group and in a smaller group. The temple was the only place that could house 3,000 people. But in the homes they would gather together. And there was the breaking of bread that took place. This is a reference to the Lord's Supper. They're worshiping together, but not just on Sunday. They're doing life together. Every aspect of their lives are being transformed. Fellowship, Christian fellowship, is to be amongst the people of God, sharing the Word of God, and worshiping. 
And it's for every aspect of our lives. And then there is the prayers. I want to plug for just a moment. Every Wednesday we gather together at 6 p.m. to pray. To pray for the church. To pray for one another. We're having some discussions then we, we're going to look at, at the time. But we want the body of Christ to come together. That's what this early church did. They spent time in the Word. They spent time with one another. Encouraging one another with the Word. In fellowship. They worshiped together in a place like this and in their homes. But prayer became foundational. And Lord willing, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. But I want to encourage you to come for prayer. Because God hears our prayers. And He answers our prayers. It's reading in Matthew's Gospel and it talks about Jesus heading in to Jerusalem. He's hungry. He sees the fig tree. And there's leaves on it. And there's no figs. And Jesus curses the tree and it withers right there. And the disciples are like, what in the world? And what does Jesus tell them? He says, if you have faith, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, does He literally want us to move mountains? No. But as people of God, as people of the Word, He wants us to give that Word so that others will be transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. Do you realize the power of prayer to deliver one unto salvation? You're a believer priest. There is no one that can be out of reach of God. You, as a believer priest, can go before the throne of grace and pray for the salvation of someone who is so unworthy, so uninterested, so rebellious against God, and God will save them. So these fundamentals, these basics that we want to put into practice, they're important for us because there is work to be done. So much so. Let me give you just to wrap this up. Some, some helpful hints here. Where, where are we going as a church? Well, we are looking to Jesus. When it all comes down to it, our purpose all comes down to the person and work of Jesus, what He is doing. His plan is to transfer rebel sinners into His Son's kingdom and to transform them into His image. That's where we're going. We're going that way. Well, how do we do it? We do it by growing in the Word, by reading the Word. By speaking the word to one another. By speaking it to others. Building ourselves up in the faith and sharing it with others. So what does that look like? As I said earlier, you might want to do this. You might want to meet up with someone and say, Hey, can we sit down and read through the Bible? You may have a devotional time in your life. And that's a good thing. But I have something to encourage you and challenge you pastorally. Don't read books about the Bible. Read the Bible first. Don't read books about the Bible. 
Read the Bible first. That word is God's word. That word is living and active. That word transforms. You can get good information in books about the Bible. They can be helpful in your devotional life and, and practical Christian living. They can. But if that's all you do and you're neglecting the Word of God, you're going to wither just like that fig tree. In your small groups, take time to think of who you can encourage in that. Write out on a card a verse. Send it to someone. Send them a prayer. We want to be a church that gets back to the basics. And let me, let me put things simply here when, when I speak about getting back to the basics as well. We want to be about people, not programs. We want to be about relationships, not tasks. We want to be about discipling, not about policies. We want to be about God's business of gathering people from every nation and tribe and tongue and bringing them in to the kingdom of the Son through the giving of the Word. That's our task. That's our goal. That's where we're going. And in the weeks and the months in the years going forward, we want to resemble this church because this particular church had all those things in common. And the interesting thing is they were taking it in inwardly, but they were living it outwardly. It said that they had favor with all people and that the Lord was adding to their number daily. Can you imagine? Can you imagine as, as the people of God we regularly encourage one another with the Word. Practicing in this safe environment here and then going and living it out. I have a t-shirt that I got. I'll close with this. It says, Pastor's Warning. Anything that you say can and will be used as a sermon illustration. <laughs> Galeb was at work this week. She was having lunch with two Christian women. And as she's eating, her manager and another gentleman come and they join them. They are unbelievers. My wife is headed to Steamboat Springs tomorrow for a meeting. I was going to join her. Had an episode this week with, with lungs and had to get a breathing treatment and some other things. So I'm not a good candidate to go to the cold and to high altitude. And they're having lunch, and, they, and these two unbelievers, they sit down together. <clears throat> and Gayla is talking to one of the other women and saying, yeah, Jeff's not a good candidate to go, blah, blah. And I thought about you, the other woman, who had shared a prayer request with us. They had gone to Park City last month. And the father had gone up there, wasn't a good candidate to be there. He got sick. He was in the ICU for like eight days and so on and so forth. So here's what's happening. Let me, let me give you a little tidbit here. You have three Christian women talking about how God is working in the lives of delivering this man, healing this man, bringing him back home to two non-believers who are hearing that. That, brothers and sisters, 
is a good thing to be engaged. Here's unbelievers that may not know Christians that are hearing Christians talk about the mighty works of God. That, brothers and sisters, gets them where they are to think. You've just heard gospel living and been in the presence of it. It's that easy. You can go up to someone on a Sunday morning here or even after the service. What has God done in your life this week? Or hey, did you hear Jeff when he talked about this, you're transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of the sun? What do you think about that? Have a conversation. Build one another up in the faith. The more practice you get here, the better you're going to be when you go out there. Let me close with that. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that we desire to get back to the basics. We do thank you that you give us your spirit that causes us to do these things that seem impossible, but with you they are all possible. You bring us to yourself, but you have a work for us to do. It is not a work that relies on us, but yet you allow us to participate in it. That is a glorious thing. Our chief end is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. What a miraculous thing that you will allow us to be within your plan of salvation for others. It's not about us. It's about you and your work. In Jesus' name, amen.